Welcome to the Pater the Water Dog Saves a Planet Peace Podcast. The first book in the Pater the Water Dog Saves a Planet series is One More Year, and it is about overconsumption in the form of an adventure filled with lovable, quirky characters in a candy wrapper of laughter, irreverence, kisses, friendship, satire, mountain bike jumps, love, and magnificent scenic beauty. I'll be sharing the audiobook in the next episodes, but to get us started, I'd like to share a one more year story from a friend, along with an interview from another friend who's an expert on getting a handle on our possessions. I asked my friends if anyone had a story about something they had kept and used for a very long time instead of buying something new, or a story of how they moved away from uber consumption to a more minimalistic life. My friend Kelly Anderson, a true protector of the land, sent me a story, and another friend, Kara Rodenbush, master personal organizer, sat down with me. First, here is Kelly's lovely story. I have this tin scoop my grandfather made out of a can during World War II when there was a need for metal for the war. My grandfather had a master's degree and had come from Texas to work in the shipyards in California. He became a high school teacher and taught math and metal shop. He built sailboats and was an esteemed gardener. I don't remember a time in my life without this happy little tool. Now I reach for the scoop each time I do a load of sudsy wash and feel the pure happiness as I hold it in my hand. It brings me back to my grandmother's delicious kitchen and my grandfather's prolific vegetable patch. Each time I evacuate from the mega fires, I pack it safely in my to-go box. It is irreplaceable in my heart. Thank you, Kelly. That, my friends, is one more year. When you set out to buy something new, take a moment to ask yourself, do I really need to buy it new? Will it last one more year? Can I buy it used instead? If we can all keep our stuff longer, value it more, we will help the planet. Sometimes it feels we're powerless in this time of climate change. However, farmer and author Wendell Berry wrote in the book, The Unsettling of America, that more important than consumer rights is consumer responsibility. Berry says, A responsible consumer would be a critical consumer, would refuse to purchase the less good, and he would be a moderate consumer. He would know his needs and not purchase what he did not need. He would sort among his needs and study to reduce them. He continues, If a person begins to think and act in consideration of his responsibilities, then he vastly increases his capacities as a person. Next is my conversation with Kira Rodenbush, who hosts the podcast, What's Up With Your Stuff? Conversations on the Consequences of Clutter. Kira helps me understand how she navigates helping people make their spaces healthier. She is a licensed massage therapist and uses her healing skills to explore how our belongings show up in our bodies and inform our narratives. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. I am so grateful to be here and I do love uh, the way paths cross and the, the 
some of the brightest spots of the past year coming out of what we can all agree has been a really uh, trying time for all Definitely. of us. There have just been so many sweet sparks on the outside that have just been like, okay, it's all right. We can like <laughs> gather and sort of uh, decompress together and maybe get a sense of some of the things that we uh, learned and thought about while we were going inward during the great pause. Definitely. Yeah. I was curious, you know, how you first got started in, you have the, the massage therapy and the decluttering and the organization work. How did you first either, which one started first and especially the helping people kind of clear things out, the material things out, how did that get started as well? Wow, well, the when I lived in New York City, which was in the late 90s, this was before organizing was really a thing, before it was a, a, a it was before it was Marie Kondo it was just a twinkle in somebody's <laughs> eye. Sure. I have a barking dog. Hang on one second. I have one too. I have one. Oh too. my gosh. She wants to get mine up might. here and, and participate. That would be great. And I'm, mine's tail. She'll probably jump up too. Yeah. Well, she's going to tell me to get her up there again. And then she's going to give me great. Give me two seconds. Come here, girl. So then you won't have to yell at me. Okay. So I was in New York city and organizing wasn't really a thing. But I worked in this coffee shop with a very eclectic and wide ranging clientele. The owner was a very busy guy who had his fingers in a lot of pies. And I, when I started working for him, I just did this in his, in his business, in the coffee shop. I just mm -hmm. sort of did this thing. So then he would start having conversations with the people that he was dealing with and his customer. Oh yeah. Well, I have this person that works with me and she just does her thing. She just comes in and uh -huh. she just like makes it all better. And uh, so I started doing this for a couple of people that he introduced me to. And I still didn't, I was just going in and doing my thing. And then one day I was at a, one of my regular client's house and this was before cell phones, but when, you know, you're uh, young and in trouble in New York city, your <laughs> friends have all the numbers, how to get in touch with you. So we still had this, like, like they knew where to find me. Right. So one of my, one of my girlfriends calls me over at my client's house and says, you have to turn on the TV. There's a woman on Oprah who does what you do. And I said, oh, what is she calling herself? And she said, she says she's a professional organizer. And I was like, I like that. That's kind of what I've been telling people I do or like an organizing consultant. She's like, yeah, she calls herself that too. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm onto something here. So it's nice. that sort of like when uh, you're tapping into the, the beginning germination of something. And then, um, so I eventually left New York because I had sort of fallen into, uh, I always say like I moved to New York because I wanted to be a character on Sex and the City, but then I left when I started to turn into a character on Sex and the City. <laughs> like it was one of those things where like all of the things that I really wanted to do and be about it, it just was like, oh, this is going to be my life then. And I really wanted family and Mm -hmm. It was just not really conducive to uh, just finding somebody who wanted to settle down. Like everyone mm -hmm. in Manhattan is usually like in the grind or like, mm -hmm. you know, really working to make something happen. So 
I had friends that had settled out in the Pacific Northwest and I started to fantasize about a simpler, uh, slower life out there. And I started to look into the naturopathic college out here in Portland, Oregon, because I just in the toxic lifestyle of New York City, I just decided I was going to really counter it while I lived there. So oddly enough, it was in New York that that my health journey really began or like my um, my looking into the body or that sort of awareness that we mm-hmm. had all of the answers that we seek inside. I just started to get really um, just, I think a series of just personal epiphanies that led me to realize that I wanted to like, not do all my own research, but start to figure out why the body does what it does. Why am I feeling this way? I mean, obviously I could eat better, sleep better. And when you start to make these mindful scaffolded habits, one of the things that comes up consistently is stripping away what's not necessary and, and taking away all of the, the, the clutter in your diet, in your mindset, in your environment, like it's all, but I wasn't ever really seeing anyone put tying it all together that way. And then Mm -hmm. when I went up to Portland, I ended up leaving New York to go join my friends who had settled on the West coast. And I thought I wanted to go to naturopathic college, but it just turned out to be too much. I wanted to get my hands on into it quickly. And Mm -hmm. massage therapy was something that had been there for me and helped me through some injuries. And um, I just really, it kind of blew my mind when I was receiving it, how potent it could be to help Mm -hmm. somebody really switch their narrative around. And uh, so I went into massage school here and that it was, while I was in massage school, I would take the the term breaks and go back to New York and continue to organize for people and still maintained a, a really solid connection with the East Coast and uh, eventually went out and started to organize for folks after establishing myself as a massage therapist. So mm-hmm. once I had completed the massage therapy training, and organizing was something that as much as I loved doing it, it wasn't Portland in the early aughts was not Manhattan in the late nineties. Like the, the, the dot-com bubble was, it was bursting. It had burst and it was like there, there, it didn't seem as realistic for me to try to have an organizing career because it wasn't a thing. And I was trying to convince people that, you know, like, oh, I, I help you figure out what's important and what's not important in your life. And, and folks hadn't really all the way woken up to that idea that, that their stuff was taking over. Right. So, um, I, and so it was just having been like on the forefront of that piece of it and then going to massage school, I, and then going back into organizing, I began to realize that my internal dialogue when I'm like going into the zone and doing my thing is very similar in both, both arenas. It's like this sort of like, it's not judgmental and it's very curious and it's mostly just a reflection to the client. What is it that your body is asking for and what how are, how is it supported? How are the current systems supported? Like what's going on in your environment at home? What's working? 
and and what doesn't really not necessarily not belong there but is asked, being asked to do something that is not it's serving its primary function mm-hmm. and so you begin at the origin and you work through to the you know the or the insertion point and and you just sort of smooth out the bits like you're making a bed or like you're untangling mm-hmm. a cord and and the way that I talk to myself and go into my little headspace I just found like oh yeah I'm the same person doing this as I am doing this and then I sort of cultivated a practice where I could work on people I could work on organizing clients uh give them massage and then I could also have organizing clients on my massage table and then I just sort of started to kind of cultivate this sense of just like the holographic uh the 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 accumulations of patterns and and things that even just like the way that our identities show up in our bodies and the way that we hold them like certain if somebody has a particular profession like a professional athlete or a musician like I can't go to town on stripping away all their scar tissue and 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 rearranging their shoulder girdle right before <laughs> a big game or a big performance because it's just you, you don't you don't drag you know what I mean like it's, it's just like it shows up uh what they need for the way that their range of motion is necessary for them to achieve a certain set of results is evident in the way they're storing their goods in their body. Interesting. So I can't be judgmental when I'm approaching somebody's scene because I don't, it's, it's their experience. It's, it's right. does what they are presenting with reflect the story that they are wanting to tell? Would you, in those circumstances, maybe let them know that you came upon that, but you know that that's part of them, or do you just kind of keep that to yourself is just something you know about them and would would you be able to work on some of those things over time if they didn't have to go do their performance in right that night yeah, I think or that's a good question that's a really good question I think that it's the the way that I see it is that it's um to to be to just hold space for them for where mm-hmm. they are in that moment yes so I, I, to be able to eventually reflect back to them where I think it needs to go, but if I can sort of help them be consistent with an inventory, mm-hmm. it becomes really objective and it takes gotcha. a lot of the emotion and the attachment out of it. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just like, okay, what does this space need or mm-hmm. where are the adhesions essentially? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. where is it, where are things getting stuck? So if I can just like, basically hold the boundary and apply consistent pressure then it like has the it, the the tissue will begin to move itself inside mm-hmm. the space like eventually it just finds its resting spot because it's like huh. if that makes any sense it's like mm-hmm. you engage tension just enough to just sort of contact and say okay here we are and then you just sit there mm-hmm. and you hang out and then the the person realizes, the body realizes, like, huh, like it's it's sort of like this. I it's like a why are you hanging on to this? And if somebody says, well, because I have a performance this evening, and then it's like, okay, cool, I'm not going to touch that 
and I can move on to the next thing, like what's going on, then, you know, I can probably work on the other areas that need to be relaxed. Yeah. And I totally, I totally saw those words directly in the house. Yeah. Like I I pictured like the instrument or the, you know, and it's like, of course you're not going to get rid of the hundred violins or whatever. Um, Right. But maybe you know, but I could picture you're holding that space. And today, maybe you're not ready to get rid of something, but you being there and being in their life that do you see that when you is it a pro a process, you meet with someone, then maybe a year later, they're much it must be that they're much well, it's, it's amazing. Like one of the clients I'm working with now, I actually helped them move into their home 24 years ago. And wow. so there are things even that, you know, when I'm taking down <clears throat> stuff that I helped systems that I helped put into place originally, like it's, it's fascinating to see what, well, it also sort of like shows you again, what works and, and what doesn't work, but the foundations pretty much stay the mm-hmm. same, mm-hmm. but the clutter tends to be the stuff that we bring into and out of on a daily basis that feels like it's too much to manage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is a direct result of overconsumption or that sort of that feeling that every time we leave the house, we need to come back with something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that day to day, those, those habits that pile on that sort of like create the, the, the general overwhelm as time goes by that builds up and builds up. And then there's just like so much, but the original framework, when it's, when it's put into place, it's something that you can always return to. And you can, if, if there's a place for everything, then you can put it all back in its place. So like those, I, I'm never one to say, oh, this is the one and done solution to organizing your home and, or to like the massaging your body. Cause all it takes is one good spill or a natural disaster. And all that is just out the window. Right. right. So it's sort of about maintaining this consistent inventory of what your needs are and then what your wants are and then what your super wants are, you know, and (laughs) I believe that we should have a good blend of those. Like, I don't ever feel like, so yes, I like to show up for folks and help them declutter, but I don't necessarily, if I have a client who's a super minimalist in theory, but they can't stay on top of their day-to-day stuff. I love to help them implement the immediate day-to-day systems. Like I, I always feel like I'm best at, I mean, I can do all kinds of massage, but I'm best at just knocking you out and making you drool. Like, I just want (laughs) to squish y'all out. So like, I'm great at like creating the systems, but I'm best at coming in and judging what's there and like creating, uh, unblocking the energy where I see it. Like, have you ever thought about moving this piece of furniture over to here or maybe utilizing this space differently or like what's going on? Like, let's figure out what the zones are and how they're uh, really, are they working for you? And are you making the most out of the, 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 the scene? Right. Well, I, my little book, my first book in my little series, um, it's called One More Year, and it has this slogan, One More Year, Keep Your Stuff, People. And this thought that 
you know, keeping buying things to have for a long time. And, you know, you know, a lot of people talk about that. And before our, our uh, meeting, I was thinking about, it's kind of, you have this taking away, but if you really did think that everything you bought, you had to have forever, you'd need right. five, 10 houses for that, right? It would cause totally. you to have to stop consuming. I guess I'm curious, you know, have you over time found that people are more thoughtful in this time of, of you know, the challenges the planet's having and, or when you do meet someone that has that compulsion, which, you know, I, I think back of how I used to be, I think I, I went into a target a, a year or so ago and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then part of it's due to COVID and I'm right. like, whoa, I haven't been in a store like this in so long. And I do a lot of thrift shopping, but I didn't right. always do that. How are people, what do you find out there and have people changed? And if you bump into that person that buys a lot, how do you, what do you do? Whew, well, that is so, <laughs> that okay. is a big one. That is like, there's so much, so many layers to that, because I think that, well, for starters, we're coming off of um, you know, the, the generation that lived through the depression, my grandparents, they, you know, they moved with nothing but a cardboard box with their stuff from the dust bowl to California and really worked hard for every single thing they had. Right. And so this behind me, this, which I, is, uh, this technicolor, nearly day glow, enormous painting, of this scene that is like I like to call it Bob Ross on acid that this <laughs> was it. something that they had commissioned in the 50s for their rec room and it just like has been this thing that for, was a joke in my family for the longest time it was like the world's largest starving artist painting right like, <laughs> like we would like it was just like oh my god can you believe that thing they're gonna that's gonna be with them forever so then eventually after my mom moved into their home and cycled a lot of their belongings that they had cultivated, which was not necessarily her style, but they still hold this sentimental value. Those are all packed away into the storage shed. And then uh, she and my father split up and she's married, remarried for my, their, my, so we have my stepfather's stuff from his family wonderful antiques and heirlooms we have all of but so the combination and the recombination of families and then the fact that we live in a culture where it, it's you know we were designed to as a species i think to live a much more communal existence where we could share a lot of the necessary utilities and it didn't, everybody didn't have to have their very own. Like, I feel like everybody in the modern day and age wants to live like their house is its own tiny target, right? Like yes. they have one of every single thing mm -hmm. and that, so that all of their needs are met. And yes, COVID made that way worse because like, oh my gosh, what happens if we're all locked down forever, right? So True. I think that when we're fed insecurity as a society, there's a need to just sort of uh, inflate our, our sense of, um, just like to, to feather our nests and make things as comfortable as we can inside of the home, if we're all going to hunker down. So mm -hmm. that means we all have to have our very own, very own. And, and then it, it starts to, I think also spark this, like 
not just whereas it may be if it's not that keeping up with the joneses it's almost that like uh prepper mentality of just like i gotta like hoard all this stuff and it, it's the opposite of sharing with your neighbor and and like it's not like i'm keeping all this stuff so that my community will be safe in case something happens it's i'm keeping all this stuff so that me and mine are going to be okay but forget all y'all i have all the toilet paper what are you going to do mm-hmm. like i i can't even imagine that so and not to say that i didn't fall prey to some of that during the pandemic but as it became evident that we are as a species going to have to uh, there are going to be all kinds of bumps in this road. This is one of many and we have to be prepared. Yes. And we also have to temper that with this. You can't be living in a sense of, of panic all the time. Mm-hmm. So then how does that show up in our like big sturdy belongings? Because the truth is if there are in cases, I'm sorry, but there are no, I don't think that there are any Ukrainian women with their, bureaus on their backs right now right like right. that that precious thing this this painting's not going in wartime right it, the things that like I part of where I feel like this came from with me is that as a child we experienced two major floods major catastrophic floods and mm-hmm. uh so much so that the house that I grew up in was eventually used during I think hurricane during Harvey uh in an associated press photo for like the wow. damages of what has happened in the floods and the entire side of the house eventually had peeled away and, and floated down river mm. because, and, and so, I mean, that was on its way to happening during, throughout my childhood in stages, we got to watch the first several, first several, uh, fill ups, <laughs> like, you know, so I think that watching our belongings make it through those floods and then realizing though now on the other side of that that I have some of those belongings in my possession uh, those are the things that I am personally emotionally strapped to and it then becomes this sort of identity clutter or a sentimental clutter or even a guilt clutter that is uh can start to counteract any of the good feelings that you might have with it like I feel like I can't get rid of it I feel like I it's I I have to Mm -hmm. like hang on to some of these things furniture that's in splinters until I have the means to have them restored and refinished to their original glory Mm -hmm. and and just really even though they're not my style even though I'd probably be happier with something from Ikea or something that I made myself. <laughs> so and how sustainable is that, right? So there will be one day the, the I know that this furniture is going to be one of the things that as long as I can put it on a truck and move it to the next place, it's going to follow me around until I can do that with it. The table and chairs that I'm referring to right now are my great grandmother's they're Jacobean English oak, just vintage, sturdy, solid. But my children managed to do more damage to them and to the chairs, the table and chairs in five years than my previous four generations had done. <laughs> well, that's a so, wonder that's a wonderful example though of keeping something a long time and that has meaning. And um, so that's that's very, very nice. Yeah. So I'm not above that kind of, like I do have, so when you ask like 
the things that I keep around me really are uh, a blend of family heirlooms. I have a lot of a lot of uh, antiques and a lot of pieces of furniture that I either relieved my mother of off of the like. I just I feel like for a long time as I was setting up my own homes, uh, I just could always count on her to be getting rid of something that I mm -hmm. could sort of take on and and keep in the family. And so there is, I think that nowadays though, the same, it used to be that that's what you came with. And it was like part of your dowry, right? It was like your armoire right. with all of the family things. And we just don't live like that anymore. And, and so, although I live in this uh, 1910 funky little craftsman that was has never been updated so it doesn't have the walk-in closets or the space the tons of counter or cabinet space that you would find in a modern home and mm -hmm. so all of those pieces of furniture make sense so right. yes I love to thrift for those things or find them on the side of the road or mm -hmm. in buy nothing groups even if they're just like placeholders for something that I eventually want to invest in for myself or my family or Right. something that I know that my mom has this piece that eventually all of this stuff will go in that piece. And until then, I know that this is where it fits and where it goes. But so there, I think that there are a lot of people though, that the more we're scattered and the, the more that we've moved now into more urban living, that is like tighter, like uh, Ikea style living, you know, like this table and chairs would not fly if I really want to like have my dream of living in a tiny home in Vermont, <laughs> or if I want to move back to Manhattan and live right. in a five-story walk up, like there are certain things about the logistics of it that maybe won't be able to make that sort of a journey. So I think that, um, that there is a lot more that there are waves that people go into and out of, but there's a lot, there seems to be a lot more of an awareness about the sustainability of how we live that is at the same time met head on with the, just the depletion of every natural resource to make sure mm -hmm. that target has lots of little compressed particle board bookcases and plastic right. shelves to plastic baskets to put on them. So, right. you know, I think that, that our, but there's something that we have, we do owe ourselves the grace of realizing that we are born into this consumer culture and that it, it takes a lot of energy to, to be simple mm -hmm. and to go against that grain. And it, it's, it can feel sometimes a little bit awkward if people are not accustomed to it, but it's, I've, I go out of my way to strip away the unnecessary stuff. And that means that I really like the extra when it does come along. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Definitely. I, how old are your kids? My daughter that, okay. So we're coming into birthday season, which is in <laughs> April, April going into May and they all level up a year. So I'm going to tell you that what their ages are going to be. Okay. Because we're so close. So close. That I'm really, I don't get away <laughs> with calling them the ages that they actually are anymore. So I have a 15 year old, a 12 year old and a six year old. So high school, nice. middle school and kindergarten. 
Wonderful. So they're a little younger. I was thinking of, you know, some of my, my kids um, are, I'm going to say the wrong ages, 23 and 27. Um, And they say that that age and maybe a little older, that they might be renting more and sharing more, right? Like the cars and the um, your kids are a little younger to ask about that, but I was just curious if maybe, you know, there's a lot of, when you're in those school years, there's pressure to keep up because kids have stuff, right? And so right. I'm not going to be the kid that with two outfits probably, um, although some might, but it's still a it's, consumer. It's amazing to me, right? That, that, but that was like the way I grew up. I, I couldn't wear the same thing twice in a row. Like right. I was, no way. No, same I would here. not be, uh-uh my kids don't care. They, they don't care about nice. a lot of that stuff anymore. Not that they don't put certain pressures on themselves, but another thing, because there is that gap there between the 12 year old and the six year old, because the six year old was our, our bonus, our surprise baby <laughs> that, uh, so as like this just mostly came around this last Christmas where I realized like the oldest one wanted a trip and the middle one wanted a computer and I'm like, okay, those don't fit in your stockings and that's going to pretty much eat up an entire budget. Right. So what and it made me realize, but like that, that the baby doesn't have that, like as try as I might to live simply with my kids every year, I would say, Oh, too much plastic. We're going to do it over again. And we're going to do it like all natural this time mm-hmm. and still the frenzy of the season would take hold yeah. and you know the, the stockings would be full of crap from the dollar tree and i'd just yeah. be like ah. so, um, but when i stopped it with the like there was enough of a gap between what the older kids expect and what the youngest one hasn't had the opportunity to experience yet So I'm like, wait, I can sort of like reset, like you guys don't mind if I like dial it down for him and don't like, you're not going to like tell him like, oh my God, we used to get so much plastic crap. But one time my daughter actually as a child, like I have this scrawled note that I saved in her little like first grade handwriting or whatever, dear Easter bunny, my please no made in China plastic crap my mom will throw it away <laughs> like thank you because I used funny. to just be that's how I could get away with like decluttering their stuff would just yeah. be like just contribute to the landfill to begin with like so right. anyway like trying right. to show ourselves the necessary grace that says like yes we live in this culture where this stuff mm-hmm. happens and realize that um like the kids I mean, they have some wonderful uh, guides in, in the youth advocates that are mm-hmm. out there saying like, this is, you know, this is our planet and mm-hmm. we really need to switch things. And the beauty of being served this handbook of bunk from previous generations about the way we're supposed to do things, that's all like not leather bound, bound in plastic. Right. It, it's like the, the kids, realize that like they don't have to do it that way mm-hmm. and because we know that uh actually the way that our forebears told us to do it didn't it's like like the most immediate uh the most immediate generations previous to us that like thought that the way to make it better was to make it easier but easier right. isn't better 
So right. like the, that the kids have this awareness that they can temper their futures with this, like, wait a minute. And that we know that like, you know what, I'm not going to poo poo your magical thinking ideas. So if you can come up with a way to clean the plastic out of the oceans, let's like use that kid thinking that magical brain, because you guys, it's going to be your world. So let's right. start working on those ideas now. Like I, like what do you, what you got? So I right. really do look to them a lot for like, sorry to, you know, serve you this big, you know, parts of it can look like a scary dumpster fire, but parts of it can look like this, you know, Technicolor Bob Ross on acid painting <laughs> behind me under the right circumstances. Right. That's so right. like, so how to appreciate those and, and maintain respect for them at the same time, not I, so I try to teach them like leave no trace and have real compassion. And That's if we nice. can like read the room and leave no trace, then we'll be okay. Yeah. That's wonderful. You were talking about the preppers and I'm, I'm working on this uh, writing right now about food and, you know, we're so divided right now, but I was thinking about this idea of getting yourself kind of self-sufficient, which is the goal of, of many. And as it relates to food, and I was looking at like victory gardens around the time of the war when they encouraged everybody to, to be self-sufficient in that way. So when you think about someone up in Montana that has this compound that's there for maybe reasons we wouldn't love, like fear, and there's too many guns in there and whatever there are, but still thinking if, if that person's growing their own food. And then what if we all did, right? So I, I try to think of aspects of everything and people, because some of those motivations and the frustrations that those, those people, which sounds like, you know, they're aliens, they're not, we're all, we're all no. together, but they're fears yep. we all have and finding yep. that common ground where, wow, yes, you do this. You have the battery operated thing. You're not using some fossil fuels and your little independent thing. We all could benefit from this aspect, you know, looking at Avis, I have right to tell side. you <laughs> the reason that totally like exactly. And that, that, so I'm so I'm bursting at the seams because the reason <laughs> that I asked if we could even push it back a little bit today was because I was just in the process of assembling a tower garden Ooh, for my family. And beautiful. when I tell you, I have never grown a thing at all. And this oh, is an it's an aeroponic thing that with like all of these cells on the side where we can grow all of our own greens and uh, several fruits and vegetables oh, right there. Great. And it's got lights, it's got a cage. And so it's just right there in our dining room, right next to the kitchen <laughs> that's so great. that I can have this like amazing, beautiful source of food and share this experience with my kids. It doesn't, there's like, zero waste and like there's zero like I don't even have to leave my I don't even have to get dirty to do it so this and is just a frame that, of mind of having that so close it's going to affect your what you're thinking about too because you have that growing thing in your house that's beautiful like how many slimy bags of greens have I gone through oh. because I have the best intentions however when there is literally like this gorgeous dinosaur kale growing right in front of your face it's it's hard to not like just snap it off and enjoy right. it and I say I, I want to use my little 
cloth bags and I have them and the, my wax things. And then I'm still like, you know, have the greens in that bag, plastic bag. <laughs> you know, yeah, I it's know, right there. You're right? gonna clip clip them off, and that's awesome. Seriously, that's yeah. wonderful. Great. So well, I do think so that much. there are ways. You're welcome. I just think that there are so many different ways that we can sort of be a little bit of both, and it doesn't always have to feel so all or nothing. I, I have one personal question. Have you yeah. come upon someone that maybe is pared down in their living space? but has a lot of storage it's hanging around yeah and I keep I keep making a plan to take care of it which I don't so it's kind of that gnawing feeling yeah have you had any clients that have that you've helped them kind of do you just say forget about it don't worry about it that stuff okay no you have to process (laughs) it and you have to release it because if if it I mean Sure. It'd be great sometimes if it just got taken away in a flood or a fire and you're like, oh, well, there goes that. But what (laughs) ends up happening is that feels like such a violation and a personal travesty that it's like a trauma that then is triggered by so many future traumas. And putting it on your kids to handle life, like when you have to go through it, when you're passed away. And this is something that I will come to loggerheads with my mom about and and she's like and she's an organizing maven on her in her own right she she will say that I come by this honestly and it's true she and she's also because she's such a perfectionist she has to be the one to take care of it and because she has to be the one to take care of it it makes it very difficult for anybody else to like so that's another piece of it is that it really is an, the journey of the individual. So even if you're in a household with other people, you start with your stuff. It has to be your stuff. Mm-hmm. And then by example, it's the same when you're trying to encourage others to use less. Like the, the folks only respond so well to being told what to do in that sort of like, you know, bossy type of voice. But a lot of times folks don't realize the impact that their footprint has wherever they are because right. we're not taking a consistent inventory of it. And you know, anytime we ever try to move, we think, okay, I can do this in about this many days. And then it's just like, then that time comes where you're just throwing stuff into just boxes shove it and in. just getting yep. it out as fast as you can. I'll take care of it later. I'll get to it later. I'll, right. I'll do it when I get to the new place. And then that time never, co- and then these doom boxes just wind up <laughs> like, And they're like these time capsules of exhaustion that no, we don't need them. And, but, but we do need to acknowledge that we don't need them and we do need to get rid of them. Even if it's taking, giving yourself the grace of at one day a year, one day, uh, every six months to go to the dump and and just get rid of it, get rid of it because that serves two functions to me. Number one, man, if you feel bad about getting rid of that couch, like when you go to where they get rid of the couches and you realize that your couch looks like a little stack of toothpicks on that pile, you're not, your couch is not the thing that's tilting the scales. And, and like, you know, your couch is not doing the damage in the world. And then they have this machine that is like a grinder that keeps that couch up and turns it into a little bitty, little bitty, little bitty box of stuff. That's right. nothing. If you tear a couch apart, it's not that big. 
It's just a bunch of fabric and some boards and some batting. And that doesn't take up that much space. So like give yourself the grace to just get rid of the things that, that are not donatable right. or that you can't share with your community. I mean, by all means, go through the levels of how you responsibly get rid of things. But if you can just say, you know what, it hasn't gone and it needs to go. It's funny the things I'm, I'm 59 that I don't even remember that I have in there, right? You look in there and then, but why is it that when you look at like, I, I've just, there's one area that my goal is to get it uh, cleaned out and it would be a lovely little uh, cottage space and a, a humble oh, yeah. property that we, that we have. And I, Wonderful. Used to, I used to have a little rose farm. And at one point I made these adorable little aprons with a leather thing for your clippers and I think I made four of them. I don't know if I was thinking of selling them, but then I look at that and, but I just need to give those away. Think of who would enjoy that, who is either a gardener um, or think I'm sending you one and uh, I'm going to get your address. I'm going to mail you one and you probably won't be walking around your house with your little, oh, you never know. You, you would clip, be surprised. You could clip I, your no, little I, lettuce with your, you put on your, you could even cook. Totally. I, I wear lettuce. aprons all the time. <laughs> I wear aprons every time I cook. I'm not kidding. So it's I just the, put it back in, put it back. And it's kind of this, all the psychological stuff of them. There's plenty in the garage. So, but I'll do it. And as you say, I think breaking it up, and saying, okay, this amount of time, this time frame, once a month, I'm going to do this. And then it doesn't yep. seem so overwhelming. Yeah. Don't make it, uh, it's not, it can't be an all in one day kind of effort because unless you have, uh, the support and that's where hiring a professional can come in really handy is when they can like, or just even trading time with a friend who also has a, like another, like, you have a skill set that they like. Like I'm a big fan of just a lot of times people just need someone to hang out with them and say, you know, why are you, what, what about this? What about this? So if you have that friend or that, I mean, if it's family, it can often get a little like dicey, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but there's, you know, but that's why a professional again is like so great. Cause they're just totally objective and they right. just want to help you achieve your goals of whatever it is, but they will keep you on task and they'll keep it at time sensitive and, and realize like, cause that's the other part of it. This is the same thing about massage and the ways that they're similar is that you can only go in so deep as you have the time to get back out because you can't like get in really deep and then be like, okay, well, I'm done by and like leave somebody with all their boxes and their business all like open and splayed out everywhere. You have to be able to like leave it so that the client is not feeling completely overwhelmed next time around. So even with your own self, whatever you are, if it's like, if you can allow yourself to get lost in it, that's another thing. Cause Uh that's what I love is just like the micro tidy that all of a sudden hours have passed. And I just am everything's all detailed and I've solved all the world's problems right here in yeah, my noggin. You're, you're in the flow. <laughs> the, the end goal for me with people is like the, you know, but I don't want to make people feel like they have to give all their things away, but it's just like maintaining a, a consistent awareness of what we're hanging on to so that right. you don't start dragging shit around with you that 
you know, like, and getting into your uh, storage unit, like just get, take time with it. But right. you know, don't, if it's too much, give yourself the space to realize like, it's not the stuff. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And oh my gosh. I really appreciate you I being here. I just love your energy. And, I love uh, This is great. And course. let's stay in touch. And hey, yeah. thank you. Well, good. Yeah. yeah stay you. in touch. I'll talk okay. to you soon. Take care. Take Bye. care, Ava. Thank you for joining me for the Pedro the Water Dog Saves a Planet Peace Podcast. Until next time, sit with yourself in silence every day. That's self with a capital S. We are all scholars of peace. Peace and love to you all. Please check out Kira Rodenbush's podcast, What's Up With Your Stuff? Conversations on Consequences of Clutter. A link is in the show notes. Podcast music is Dalai Lama Riding a Bike by Javier Peque Rodriguez. A link to his music on Spotify and Bandcamp are in the show notes. Support messages of peace in the planet by joining my Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee per month at patreon.com. Just search Avis Kalfspeck or Pedro the Water Dog to find me. Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet books 1 through 5 are available at all your favorite online bookstores or at avaskalfspec.com. Book One, One More Year is available as an audiobook on all the audiobook sites with the other books coming soon to audio. If you enjoyed this episode or are at least curious about the future ones, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thank you again. Listen for the peace.